Hi, I'm Karuna. I'm the founder and executive director of Mind Oasis, and this is a new weekly series that we're calling Meditation Happy Hour, Tea, Talk, and Truth with Karuna. And I'm here with Kelly Lindsay, my, one of my most favorite people on earth for our inaugural um, session. Hey, Kelly. Hi, Karuna. How are you? I'm, I am okay. Good. Good. I'm happy to hear you be honest because that's what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about honestly how things are going. And so one of the things I thought we could start out with before we even introduce you is to ask you a little bit about what your day so far has looked like. Huh. That's a wonderful question. So I woke up at 530 this morning uh, to the sound of my two-year-old Jack. Um, which is a sweet, sweet sound. Most of the time we got up and we started our day. He has a routine of watching a television show while Adam and I shower and get ready for work. Uh, we had breakfast and um, then I came to work. Uh, I use my workspace as my meditation space because I have three children at home. And so um, uninterrupted space and time is kind of hard to come by in the home environment. So I sit in my meditation space here at work to start my day. Um, then I went to therapy, my own therapy with my therapist. And then I came back to my office and um, saw clients as a therapist and spent the rest of my day until meeting with you, um, seeing clients and helping them to navigate the turbulence of this, this world. Um, so I say, okay, because the knee jerk reaction, say, I'm great. How are you? Um, but the truth is I'm holding a lot. And so there's a lot of feelings, um, that are finding me today and every day. And, um, it's our work, I think, to navigate those and to help each other. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, before we go into who you are and all the wonderful things you have to share, my day is very similar. Um, my day started at about five 30 and I usually teach a, a Thursday morning class. And at 6.50, I discovered that my internet had dropped. I live in the mountains. No internet means actually no phone either. So I had to hop in my car and drive to the closest place where I could get a signal to let my students know that indeed class had been canceled. Along the way, I stepped in snow. <laughs> so I had cold feet, wet feet, no class, et cetera. So my day two already has felt very um, full and my meditation practice on Thursdays happens in the evening. So thanks for showing up and keeping it true and real. So let's hear about you. Where are you and what are you up to in this world? So I live in Austin, Texas. Um, I'm a therapist in private practice, which I shared already. I'm a meditation teacher. I teach on the Mind Oasis and also locally here in Austin at a studio called Dharma Yoga. And together with my husband, I run a company called Dakini Meditative, which is uh, kind of was designed to support people in establishing and maintaining a meditation practice through offering meditation classes and retreats and meditation cushions, which I make. Wonderful. So the idea behind Meditation Happy Hour is that on Mind Oasis, we talk a lot about this being real people, real lives, real talk. And even the teachers, we come to each session with myriad experience. You're raising children still. 
I have a 23-year-old son, all of the beautiful things that come with partnership and work and a practice. In other words, we're not in a cave. So I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about the current, um, let's say, atmosphere of what we face between health and finances and what feels like a lot. Well, it's my perspective that the current atmosphere is actually not any different, truly, from any previous or past atmosphere. The Buddha, when upon his awakening underneath the Bodhi tree, you know, taught the Four Noble Truths or had the realization of a teaching that he ended up giving that we know as the Four Noble Truths or the Four Arya Truths. And the first is that life is suffering. And there's lots of ways to describe that, but one of the ways that many of us are experiencing suffering right now is in um, through feelings of overwhelm or anxiety, through navigating, as I said earlier, just kind of the inevitable turbulence of life. And we all experience that in different ways, but there does seem to be kind of a collective uh, experience of suffering that's unique to this moment and yet somehow not different from any other moments. It's just how it's manifesting now. I'm pretty active on social media. Um, I try to keep my posts to being helpful, but I, I bet I spend an hour between different you know, um, various sites, mostly maybe on Facebook. And what I'm noticing is a lot of people are really worried and maybe don't have the perspective of the Buddha's teachings and the Four Noble Truths. And I'd love for you to maybe just run through what those are. But I wonder if you have, from your years of experience between being a meditation teacher, studying Buddhism, and then also being a therapist, if there is anything in particular that could be a touchstone for folks who really are um, concerned. Well, I think the first thing is just to validate people's concerns, right? Like it's okay to feel anxious. It's okay to feel worried. We have a virus going around that's threatening the health and the well-being of many, many humans right now. Our financial markets are totally in crisis and many people's sense of financial stability has really been threatened. Um, there's bigger things going on like climate change and war and the political systems uh, that we're experiencing right now and all the different reactions that we have to that. So I think the first thing is just to validate people's concerns. We live in concerning times, right? And if you're not feeling a little bit anxious or worried, you're probably not paying attention. Um, so initially there's nothing wrong with the feelings of kind of being anxious or worried or even afraid. Like those are just genuine human feelings and they are inevitable, right? And if we are experiencing them, it means because we're paying attention and we have the capacity to feel. Mm -hmm. And so that's in alignment with what the Buddha taught, you know, the first noble truth is suffering. He said, secondly, there's a reason why we suffer, right? Thirdly, there is an end to suffering. And the fourth is that there's a path to end suffering. And the path to ending suffering has everything to do with how we meet the reality that we're experiencing and the emotions that arise in us as a result. And for me, meditation practice and the path of studying Buddhism 
has been kind of a guiding light in terms of how I meet the reality of my experience and how I help others do the same. And so maybe can you talk a little bit, since it's hard to ever put ourselves in other people's foot feet, I mean, we can do it from perhaps an empathetic perspective of trying to imagine what it would be like, but from your own personal experience in this time, or maybe even a time where you felt more anxiety, um, what, what are some of the tools or maybe how do you meet that with a little bit of grace? Mm-hmm. Well, Kind of the the description of my day gives you insight into how I choose to do that on a pretty regular basis. The first is meditation practice and the second is therapy. Uh, Those are two really core um, things that I do on a daily or weekly basis to help me navigate that. the rest of my day, if I were to look ahead, you know, will involve after we wrap up here, picking up my daughter from school and meeting up with my husband and my son and taking a long walk around the lake where we live and spending time in nature, which is another way that I help myself to kind of ground and stabilize. Um, And it really, all of those things have to do with, with grounding and stabilizing, right? Grounding into the present moment, stabilizing my attention so that I can meet the emotions that are showing up uh, with more presence and compassion. And there are specific meditation practices that I use in my own daily practice and that I also share with others, which I feel like are really helpful. Uh, For example, in meeting anxiety and fear and overwhelm, the practice of Maitri meditation or loving kindness is a really, really beautiful antidote. Yeah. Can you, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? It's something I use as well. It's something, interestingly, I don't go to a talk therapist very frequently right now, but my acupuncturist sort of serves as both. And when I was experiencing, um, and pretty significant anxiety this year where I would get heart palpitations, um, In addition to her helping me with acupuncture, she really encouraged me to use loving kindness meditation as a way to almost um, move that energy from my heart and use it. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what loving kindness meditation looks like for you. Yeah. When I think about loving kindness meditation, the first words that come to my mind are heart medicine. Oh, if I think about the, you know, the feelings that are finding me recently of just maybe a little bit of anxiety or overwhelm, a little bit of depression, um, you know, just kind of sadness and meeting so much of maybe not even my own suffering, but also uh, the suffering of people that I love and care about. Um, Loving kindness practice feels like heart medicine and it's a way of meeting ourselves and meeting each other uh, in a way that holds um, our experience in what Buddhist teacher Chogam Trumpa Rinpoche called the cradle of loving kindness. And it's kind of a resting place. You know, if we think about whatever we're experiencing, if we know that somebody cares about that, if we know that somebody cares about us in the midst of that, there is an ease or a softening or a relaxation that becomes possible. Wonderful. Um, is it a practice that you would want to share? Maybe just the, the basics of the practice with us here? Um, well, maybe we can do, uh, maybe I can just tell you a little bit more about the practice and then maybe we can just do an abbreviated 
practice, something that the, the formal practice is a little bit long um, and a beautiful thing to do, but sometimes it's also nice to just uh, do a shorter practice as a way of kind of extending loving kindness to ourselves or others on the spot and meeting whatever's arising in the moment. So traditionally, the practice of loving kindness has five parts and it begins with extending loving kindness to ourselves, using particular words or phrases that communicate the feeling of loving kindness and different teachers use different words. Um, I also really encourage students to find the words that actually help them to meet what it is that they most need to hear in the moment. So the words that I typically use are, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be peaceful, and may I live with ease. But then I always leave a little bit of space there to just sense like what is actually present in my experience and what is it that I need to hear or what is it that I need to know and to offer that to myself as a gesture of loving kindness. And then from there, having kind of opened and cared for our own hearts in whatever vulnerability and realness there is, uh, there, then we can extend that to other people. But the practice has to start with us, right? We can't offer kindness to another person. Uh, I have mixed feelings about this. I think we actually can offer kindness to another person. I think we do it all the time. Many of us are very kind to others uh, and sometimes or often not so kind to ourselves. But I think in order for that kindness, there's just more resource. Uh, available to us when we start with ourselves. And then from there, we extend loving kindness to a loved one, somebody that's really kind of natural and easy for us to open our hearts to, somebody that we genuinely wish for their happiness and their health and their well being. And then the practice continues with extending loving kindness to a stranger, somebody that we know, know very well, somebody that we don't have strong feelings about one way or the other. And then the fourth stage is to extend loving kindness to somebody who's difficult or challenging for us. Maybe somebody who's extended harm to us or has created harm in the environment around us. We don't have to start with the biggest person, you know, but we could. Um, and that, you know, we kind of ease into that part of the practice because it can bring up a lot of feelings uh, and big feelings and difficult feelings. Uh, but usually at that point in the practice, there's enough of that stability and the feeling of loving kindness that it becomes easier to extend it to someone even who um, we feel really challenged by um, or not in alignment with. And then the fifth part of the practice is to extend loving kindness to all beings because the reality is that we are all worthy and deserving of happiness, of health, of ease, of peace, right? There's there isn't anybody on this earth who isn't deserving, um, who isn't worthy of experiencing those things. What do you say when people challenge you on that, that last part? I would say just because we don't feel like we, well, just because we don't feel like someone is deserving doesn't mean that they aren't. And if we encounter those places, those sticking points within ourselves, it just shows us where our work is. And it's okay for us to be where we are. We do not have to force it, right? This is not a practice of forcing ourselves to feel any one particular way. And we don't even have to like the person or agree with the person in order to extend loving kindness for them. It is not a prerequisite. You can feel however you feel about them, right? And you can even feel that they're unworthy or undeserving. 
Um, but there isn't a single human being who, who isn't worthy and deserving of love and kindness and compassion. And so when we meet those places within ourselves, it really just shows us where our work is. And it's not a cause to beat ourselves up or give ourselves a hard time or think that we're hard hearted or it's just honoring where we are. And from that place, um, for those of us who are interested in doing this work, uh, seeking the opportunities to grow and expand. Um, but there's no forcing. You can't force loving kindness, but you can be willing. Yeah, good. So you, you mentioned loving kindness is one of the tools that you use. Do you have any other tools that you have in your toolbox these days? Um, yeah. Yeah. Lots of them. <laughs> Lots of them. Um, I feel like some of the ones that I am utilizing quite often right now are acceptance, acceptance of self, acceptance of others, acceptance of life as it is, uh, acceptance of really big challenging things, which are not so easy to accept. Um, like for me, living with chronic physical pain um, that's kind of been at a lifetime high level in recent months and very challenging to, to deal with and to live with and very challenging to accept. But I find that the more that I can bring acceptance to myself and the experience, the more I soften and the more I can create the space that I need for healing. Um, and so, you know, one of the ways that I extend loving or extend acceptance to myself in a moment is just to take a few breaths and to feel however I'm feeling physically, energetically, emotionally, place my hand on my heart or some other place on my body, maybe a place that's experiencing pain and just say, this is my experience right now and it's okay. And just those words of it's okay, like even just hearing them now, I can just take a little bit of a deeper breath and feel some of the tension and the tightness that I have that, you know, is resisting my experience uh, begins to soften and open up. Yeah. Another tool that I've been using frequently recently is the practice of forgiveness forgiving myself when I feel like I'm not enough or I'm not showing up as well as I'd like to, um, forgiving others, um, asking for forgiveness. You know, those are the really the three aspects of forgiveness, forgiving ourselves, forgiving others, and then asking for forgiveness from someone else. Um, we all make mistakes. We are all human. I really do believe we are all doing the best that we can. Sometimes it's genuinely not good enough. And when we fall short, we have to have a way of moving forward. And I think forgiveness gives us the, um, the opportunity uh, to keep moving forward instead of being bogged down by guilt or shame or resentment. Uh, it is, offers us the opportunity to keep going. Yeah. And it's interesting to me, you know, Kelly, you have so many tools and you've, through your your trainings through Dakini, through Mind Oasis. We've, those of us who've been meditating with you for a long time, we've been so fortunate to receive so many different tools at our disposal. Some folks who will watch this, they might not have a meditation practice yet. And so it occurs to me that um, maybe it would be helpful just to talk a little bit about your journey to meditation or your journey in meditation as a point of inspiration? Well, my journey to meditation was really precipitated by a lot of suffering. 
Um, and for me, it was particularly um, suffering in the form of losing, uh, tragically, people that I loved and experiencing a deep, deep grief, uh, which turned into depression. And this kind of out of that space of depression, this longing to understand why we're here, why we suffer, what we can do about it. And that led me to discover yoga and then meditation and then finally Buddhism. And I don't think that's an uncommon experience. I think people often come to dis discover some kind of spiritual practice or path because they're suffering in some way. And our suffering is all gonna look different. It's gonna be uniquely ours, but recognizing that there is some sense of shared humanity, like we're all in this together. We all are going through something. Life is not easy. Um, for anyone, at least for very long, no matter what it looks like from the outside. Uh, it's kind of built into to our human experience. And there will always be people who are suffering more than us or less than us or suffering in a different way from us. So comparison is never helpful, but the recognition that we all do suffer and that it's okay, that it doesn't mean there's something wrong with us or that we've done something wrong. Um, but I think that often is what causes people to come to uh, want to seek out a practice or a path. And for me, the practice of meditation has been the foundation of working with that. And the path of Buddhism has been a way of kind of understanding, uh, understanding those deeper questions, which I think are the questions of kind of any spiritual seeker. Um, the question might vary a little bit, but it has a lot to do with why are we here? Um, what's the meaning of life? How do we meet suffering? How can we be of service to the world around us? Um, and so the path of Buddhism has really um, spoken to me very directly and offered me guidance that felt uh, trustworthy and authentic and aligned with kind of my own deepest understandings. And when you decided to embark on your meditation adventure, which I love, it's always, it, I feel like it's almost always connected somehow with yoga. Um, it was for me as well. And at Dharma yoga. Um, uh, did you go to an app and, and, and learn from an app or did you learn from a book? Who the heck taught you how to meditate lady? Oh, honey. I want to say just making myself sound a little bit older. <laughs> cell phones. There were no computers. There were no personal computers. Uh, there were no cell phones. There were definitely no apps. Um, and there weren't even yoga studios mm. when I started practicing, which is really, really interesting. And so we are in this really amazing time where literally there's access to spiritual guidance and teachings and practices at our fingertips. Um, it's such a remarkable remarkable time. Um, and it's so extraordinary to me to see the blossoming of that and to see the genuine interest and then also just the accessibility. You know, it's just become so much easier. And even, you know, it was much harder 25 years ago when I started thinking about, you know, the teachers of, you know, the lineage of the Buddha, like going back hundreds or thou even thousands of years. Um, you know, the difficulty in accessing teachings uh, was so much greater. And so the fact that it becomes easier and easier with each passing day just feels like such a magical, auspicious thing and such a beautiful occurrence. So there's so much out there. So for somebody who's starting, um, I like to think of meditation teachers as like ice cream flavors. 
love it. Very silly personal philosophy, but I know, think it's fantastic. Are there different flavors, but there's, you know, ice cream that's made with dairy milk or coconut milk or almond milk or rice milk. Or, <laughs> and there's infinite flavors and variations and toppings. And I feel like all the flavors with some exceptions, I'll be honest, there are some inauthentic teachers uh, and traditions out there, but generally speaking, um, there's a lot of really good-hearted, genuine teachers who are available um, at the touch of a button. And they are all just like flavors of ice cream. And there's no one flavor that's better than any other. There's just the one that's your favorite. And so for people who are starting out, I like to say, just go try all the flavors. You know, don't get, don't make the mistake of um, staying in that space forever. Like Chigam Trumpa called that... Um, uh, like sp spiritual shopping or shopping the spiritual marketplace. Uh, and you could kind of get caught in this almost hungry ghost mindset of like never kind of getting enough. Uh, um, but I think initially it's a really wise thing to listen to different teachers, download different apps, check out different communities um, and see what resonates for you. Because we each have a place in us that is trustworthy and the role of a teacher or teaching is simply to allow us greater access to the places of wisdom within us. I love it. So tapping into that intuitive spirit, that all-knowing within, I think it's something many of us struggle with, um, but it seems smart in this time that we have to develop a relationship with ourselves. It occurred to me today when I was kind of prepping for chatting with you about this that there may be a unique opportunity with the sort of repercussions of the coronavirus. Um, and I don't want to take away from the seriousness of what we're facing at all. I think we all can recognize that part. But we are being asked, and my guess is we will be asked more and more so to not be out in the world unless we have to be. One example actually your husband gave me last night was, you know, whereas you might have gone to the grocery store at the drop of a dime because you wanted to go get your, you know, coconut yogurt, um, maybe curbside makes sense. Or maybe only going once a week if that, if curbside isn't an option, you only go once a week and you make sure you get everything you need. You don't do those many trips because that just means you're exposed to more people, right? So many of us that meditate, we engage in personal retreat where we actually kind of cloister and get quiet and reflective for a period of time before we go back out into the world. And I just wonder if you have any thoughts, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, around the opportunity that this could be some sort of small or large reset in our own personal life. Absolutely. Just before we hopped on the call, I got a text message from my oldest son, who's a senior at Texas State University, letting me know that they just extended spring break to be two weeks long instead of one week long. And my thought was like, how wonderful, like you actually need a break, you know, and we don't often give ourselves a break. And I've been kind of feeling to myself, we've probably, many of you have probably seen the, the meme going around of 
you know, the, you know, telling people to stay home and then the introverts like, yes, I've been waiting for this my whole life. <laughs> there was a part of me that's like, you know, if I had the opportunity to stay home for two or three weeks with my family in a really intentional kind of quiet, simple way that that would feel like a blessing. And the anxiety and the overwhelm that I was speaking to um, as we open just personally oftentimes arises because there's so much to do. There's so many things that need to be attended to. There's so many places we need to go, the grocery store being just one of many. Um, and I think the opportunity here is, I actually see a few opportunities. The first is to um, become more intentional about our movements through life. Right? What are we doing and why are we doing it, right? Um, what is the most important thing right now? Uh, and taking the opportunity to actually slow down to pay greater attention um, and to take the time and the space uh, that we need for ourselves. I think it could be a huge, huge opportunity to reset, as you said, um, and to restore. Because uh, I don't know anybody um, who's not feeling some version of um, too much, right? Uh, just a lot, you know, everything just feels like it's too much at times. Too much of what? It depends on the person, right? Um, too much news, too much activity, too much work, too what, whatever it is. It's just a feeling of too much. So it's an invitation to slow down and to simplify and to become really intentional and to pay attention, uh, which is this beautiful dance that meditation teaches us of how to kind of combine our attention and awareness with this sense of intentionality, like what are we doing here and why? And then the other thing I think is really being provided is the opportunity to really protect and honor life, which is a foundational principle in the Buddhist teachings. Um, you know, we are being asked, like, even if we're not concerned for ourselves and our own health and well-being, uh, to be attentive and aware about the impacts of our movements on other people and other people's health and well-being. And I think really at the heart of this in terms of, you know, thinking about coronavirus as kind of a public health crisis, like I just read yesterday that Colorado, in addition to many other states, has kind of called a state of emergency. And for many people, life is going on, you know, as normal. They don't really feel personally or directly affected by it yet. But there is this call to um, really look at the ways that we can protect and honor life, our own lives, our family's lives, and the lives of everyone. And in doing so, I think we'll be a healthier and happier world. One other thing just quickly I'd love to, to hear a little perspective on was something else that occurred to me. Um, one of the you know, basic principles of Buddhism is the idea of interdependence or what Thich Nhat Hanh calls interbeing, that you can take, I've done it before, a roll of toilet paper, interestingly, in this day and age when it's not scarce, a roll of toilet paper, and you can see from the sunshine to the paper to the truck drivers and everybody in between how just one roll of toilet paper can um, offer us the opportunity to see our interdependence. And I just wonder if anything has come up for you around how our actions, how maybe that's not a, a concept everyone is familiar with, 
But again, that this particular outbreak of Corona is almost presenting us the opportunity to get real clear on that. Well, if you look at the maps, I can't remember who has the best map, but Adam was telling me that he's been watching a map. Do you know which one it is? Yeah, Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins University has a, a map mapping out the movement of coronavirus. And it's really fascinating to watch. And I just heard a story yesterday of some cases on the East Coast um, where they were able to just specifically track from person to person and town to town, like different cases. And I think the same thing is true in Colorado. Almost all the cases in Colorado are spread out across the state, like single individuals in different places um, with just like a minor interaction that transferred the virus and then they took it somewhere else. Um, and so there's this in, invisible connection that we have with each other that is being made visible. Um, and there are infinite other ways that we can experience that connection, uh, but that is certainly true. Um, and feeling into that, like the actions that we take might not be solely for the benefit our, of ourselves, but we're all being really asked to consider the impact of our lives, our actions, our movements on other people. And the reason for that is because we are all so profoundly interconnected and our actions do matter. Big time. And so just coming full circle as we start to wrap up here, it occurs to me that in the loving kindness meditation that um, sometimes there's the little added flavor of feeling your own heart mind space. And then as you begin to move um, your attention out to other people that you imagine their heart space as well. And then the ability to connect. Um, and it feels like that would be a very almost like an antidote to a, a virus which is causing harm using using that interconnectedness to again to transform transmute um, into a different type of connection well the interesting thing one of the interesting things about coronavirus is for most people it is not a life-threatening illness for some people it is um, but for most people it's not and so it's possible that the positive implications of this crisis um, will far outweigh the harm that's caused by the virus itself, right? Like the actions that we take, the things that we're learning, the mindfulness that we're bringing to simple things like hand washing and going to the grocery store might actually have such a powerful and positive implication for the future um, that, uh, that far outweighs um, you know, the, the negative uh, of coronavirus. It's really interesting to think about. It is. It is. It, it, gives, it gives a little flavor of hope. I think hope is important when things can feel a little hopeless. Um, I haven't looked at our stocks for a really good reason, but I remember in 2008, I think it was, um, my grandma went from being financially secure to being really financially insecure pretty much overnight. And because she was, you know, older, that she never experienced the ability to recover from that. Um, so for a lot of us right now, it, it's a scary time. So I think anytime we can 
bring practices, tools, a little bit of hope, a little bit of kindness, a little bit of that interbeing to um, the world. It's, it's a good thing and it's a needed thing. Yeah, and that brings up an important point, I think, to really respect and honor other people's feelings, you know, whatever they're feeling. I think I've seen a lot of people feeling really afraid and then other people telling them that they shouldn't feel afraid, that it's no big deal. And there's just a lot of invalidation um, of people's fears and concerns and the impact of whether it's coronavirus or the crash in the financial markets as a result of coronavirus. Um, I think it's really important for us to not discount our own feelings and not discount the feelings of other people because our experience is valid. And one of the things I've really come to believe that instead of feelings being an obstacle to greater peace or to greater freedom or to more compassion, that our feelings are actually the gateway. Um, the fe our feelings are actually the gateway to greater peace, to greater compassion. Um, but we have to learn how to feel them and we have to learn how to navigate them um, and we won't be able to feel them fully or navigate them effectively if we're continually discounting them or invalidating them whether they're our own or another person's and I think many of us can feel probably in our own experience ways in which in our paths our feelings have been invalidated and then we're less willing to show up and share how we feel um, and I think that there's uh, I would really like to see the world overcome that. Like if we could just hold each other and ourselves um, with a gesture of acceptance and compassion and kindness and just honor that each of us is feeling exactly what we need to be feeling. And if we can allow ourselves and each other to feel it, it'll actually illuminate the path forward. Very cool. I'm hearing an Austin bird in your background. Yeah. It's lovely. So I would be remiss if we didn't mention that you have an upcoming series on Mind Oasis. Do you want to talk just for a second about what it what it's about and, and maybe if it um, connects with, with anything else you've been talking about? Absolutely. So kind of thinking in terms of tools in the toolbox, uh, the course that I'll be offering after spring break um, will be on a Buddhist teaching called The Six Perfections. Uh, the Buddha taught the six perfections, these six, uh, what are called paramitas, as six qualities that can help us to navigate um, that space in between suffering and freedom from suffering, in between the first noble truth and the third noble truth. Uh, it, is the, it is one way of talking about the path um, to alleviating suffering for ourselves and others, and the six qualities that we'll be working to understand and to cultivate are generosity, kindness, patience, joy, meditation and wisdom and I really can't think of a time in life where one of those qualities if not all of them wouldn't be relevant or helpful uh, and it's one of my favorite teachings that I keep coming back to again and again. Absolutely very cool I think it's the 24th of March don't quote me on it but I'm pretty sure if that's a Tuesday Tuesday mornings and then I'll just say that we also, um, anyone who signs up for a class, you also get access to community meditation. And we offer over 100 classes each month where you can just drop in each day for a 30-minute um, meditation session. If you're new to meditation, it can be a wonderful way to kind of get your bearings, understand what the heck to do, understand what not to do. You're not trying to empty your mind. So we dispel myths from the very start. Um, and if you have an established practice, I like to say you can come and show up for other people because when we meditate in a group, um, 
beyond the accountability and the fun, which is all true, we're also really showing up for other people. It can be a wonderful gesture of um, generosity to be there in community with other people. Thanks yeah. for making it possible for us to be in community in a way that is really honoring our sense of personal health and well-being right now. Yeah, at this moment, the social distancing is built in. So hallelujah to that. Awesome, Kelly. Anything else you want to add before we wrap her up? I don't think so. Thank you for this lovely afternoon tea and to everybody who took the time to listen. Um, it's been wonderful. Yeah, so you can find Kelly at dakinimeditative.com. She has offerings live down in Austin, and she teaches online with Mind Oasis, and she sells lots of beautiful meditation cushions. I have many. This is just one. Um, and we love you, Cal. Thanks so much. Thank you, Karuna. Have a wonderful day. Thanks.